Is Amal still listening? No, he's falling asleep or he's changing a diaper. Elliot, I think it's safe to say. Oh, welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thirty-two thoughts, Merrick Friedman, and Amal Delich. I good think start, it's safe good start. to say. Yeah. I know we're well. We're, we're easing our way back into the season here. I don't have to get everything in order, do I? I'll try to keep all the words in order. Watch me now. I think it's safe to say, Elliot, that two people love the Tim Stutzla deal, and one person mm, probably isn't thrilled. We're going to tell you who those people are in a couple of moments. Uh, welcome once again to the podcast. Coming up in a little while, you will hear from a couple of Detroit Red Wings. This is part of the uh, European Players Tour. Uh, these interviews recorded a couple of weeks ago in Paris. You will hear Red Wings defenseman Moritz Sider and winger Jacob Verana, who, if you're looking for someone poised to have a huge season, provided he stays healthy, he's going to probably dine out on you know, playing on the side of Dylan Larkin. So watch for Verana this season. Meanwhile. Oh, by the way, you mentioned the Red Wings. I just want to shout out and send our best to yeah. one of the uh, key members of the hockey blogosphere. Yes. Paul Kukla had a bit of a health yes. scare this week, and he's back and recovering, and everybody reads Kukla's Corner. Uh, so we just want to send Paul the best. Paul is one of the OG hockey bloggers way, yeah. way back in its infancy. He was, he was pounding it out. I, I have nothing but fond feelings about Kukla's corner and I, I wish Paul all the best uh, as we all do. And speaking of the best, uh, the best contract any player has ever received from the Ottawa senators is Tim Stutzla's deal. Eight years, $66.8 million AAV Elliot of 8.35 million and all it took was a couple of days with Elliot Friedman in Germany. I swear, like, do you have like a side hustle as a junior agent or something here? How'd you make this one work, Elliot? Well, first of all, I kind of blew this one a bit because when we were doing the interview with Stutzla, one of the things that uh, I said to him off camera, I heard there was serious conversations on an extension. And that was the one time he clammed up. You know, you spent time with him, Jeff, and Amal, did, who's yeah. listening to this, has spent time with him. And he's so gregarious. And he's such a, a nice kid. And he was great guy. You know, he was talking and a great host. And, and the one time he clammed up was when I asked him about the contract. Now, on the interview uh, for the podcast that we already aired, he gave a great answer. And obviously, he knew that he was getting close to signing. But I should have been on this one a lot quicker because it was kind of obvious that something was coming. And when the Sanders did their outstanding reveal the other day with you know Dorian basically announcing it to the assembled media, I kind of kicked myself and said, you know, you should have been on this one a bit more. And one of my friends, uh, I was telling him the story because we were out and he accused me of quiet quitting. He said, you're, you're quiet quitting on Sportsnet. You're just not working hard anymore. So you, well, again, like me with the, the mangled tongue and not figuring out how to do an intro properly. You're just yeah. easing your way back into the pool. You're not going off the uh, the springboard diving board. You're, you're just wading in like the rest of us here, Elliot. So it, it's clear I'm far from mid-season form. Uh, my antenna did not go up on this one. But, you know, Ottawa, look, like this is like a whole new organization. I want to get there because there is like this wave of, you know, sunshine and lollipops and optimism and like pure hockey joy. Rainbows and unicorns. All of it. Like coming out of like, it's been a great summer for the Sens. It's been a great summer for Pierre Dorian. Like there's a lot of really excellent good news stories heading into this season for the Ottawa Senators. And they haven't had that in quite some time. And it's not just like with the players, but you know, with the economics, uh, with the uh, the ticket sales, I would imagine sponsorships as well. Like, they're hitting a stride right now. We can all recall when the Ottawa Senators were the best team in the NHL and everything was clicking, right? And they had, you know, Alfredson, Spezza, Heatley. Like, it, it was in a murderer's row on the back end and Ray Emmerich and then Dominic Hasek. Like, we all remember that Ottawa Senators team. We look at it and we say, you know, for the last generation, along with the San Jose Sharks, maybe the best team to never win the Stanley Cup from that era. And we haven't had like a real enthusiastic offseason in Ottawa for quite some time, but you're feeling it right now. Like, I can only imagine how good finally it feels to be an Ottawa Senators fan right now. Well, and also Chris Neal and Chris Phillips back into the organization and Daniel Alfredson going into the Hall of Fame. It's a good summer. <laughs> it's a really good summer. 
The o- the only person having a better summer is Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is doing well. He's up at what fifty five home runs or whatever it is. Aaron Judge is going to club sixty. The, the only the only question is how how deep into into the sixties does he get? Yeah, Aaron Judge having a good summer. The Ottawa Senators are having a good summer, and you know you asked Bill Daly in Paris about the Senators, and he said status quo. Yeah, about where this is going. I have a theory on this, and I just want to say this is my own personal theory, and it could turn out to be wrong, but this is my own personal theory. Okay. As part of all this and the Senators doing everything they can to lock down all their players, and now I think Zub is going to be the next one they're going to try to lock down, I wouldn't be surprised if while they're doing all this publicly and getting all this great publicity about the players and bringing guys back and signing everybody and ticket sales are going, I got to think that the business questions are all going to get sorted out. And, you know, one of the things is LeBreton Flats in the arena, last time it was all public. And when it's all public, it's not going well. When it's private, it goes well. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's private. And I think that's a good omen. And I would bet, too, that they're also working on whatever litigation was tied up from the last time around. They're going to work on sorting that out, too. So my theory, and I can't prove it, but that doesn't mean I'm not going with it because that's what we do in sports podcasting. Mm. My theory is you see what the duck is doing above the waterline. What you don't see is how hard the duck is paddling below the waterline. And I would bet that the Sanders are working on getting all these other things cleared up too. So if I can read you correctly here, Mulder, what you're saying is all of these signings are a smokescreen for them to uh, to get their arena deal done quietly, to get the big business done. I don't think it, no, I, I wouldn't say it's a smokescreen. I, I think this I'm is kidding, important. I'm kidding, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. I don't think smokescreen is the right word to use because you can do two things at once. But Jeff, Changing an organization's image in a market is a lot of different things. It's making your fans happy, and this is making your fans happy, but it's also taking care of business. And sometimes the easier things to do are the public things, but the equally as important things to do, which are harder, are the private things. And it doesn't mean you can't do both at the same time. And I would find it really hard to believe that the Sanders aren't riding this wave of great publicity mm-hmm. and saying, okay, how can we sort out our other not as sexy issues at the same time? I've got to think that's going on too. So you have a look at the core and what Pierre Dorian has done here. And the Shabbat deal is the $8 million. Brady Kachuk is 8.2. Josh Norris is 7.9. Jake Sanderson, even though he's a rookie right now, all expectations are he's going to be a big part uh, of this team once he uh, actualizes and develops. And I think one of the questions now that the Stutzla deal has done, and by the way, he does look poised to have a monster season. I know, like I tweeted this out the other day, like I know it's a lot of money. I know that's a, a really high AAV, but he looks like he's right there playing the position he should be playing for that compensation and he'll do it with Alex Debrinkit and Claude Giroux. And, you know, Dorian kind of, you know, chuckled and said, I had to get this deal done now because playing a season with those guys, it might have cost me more. I think he's poised for a humongous, a humongous season. And it leads you to the next or one of the next decisions for the Ottawa Senators. And I think Debrinkit's in the, you know, let's wait and see how the season goes mode. But, you know, Alex Debrinkit is coming up he's an rfa with arbitration rights currently making 6.4 million dollars if things go the way we think they're going to go for the ottawa senators certainly up front that could be another big piece of business for the ottawa Senators. like i said i think zub is probably the next one i don't think to gets in any hurry to resign right now just get i don't i don't think that there's a rush but on i it. but i agree with you they will get to debrinket at some point probably the thing about the senators is what they've shown their players is all the excuses are gone. Mm. And I think the players see that. You can look at your organization now and say, we're not sparing any expense on our roster. And that's the thing. Like If you're a player on the Ottawa Sanders now, mm-hmm. you're going to look around. You're going to look at your room. You're going to look at who's there. You're going to look at who's gotten paid. 
and you're going to say, we have no excuses. Like, if this doesn't work, this is on us. Yeah. And I like that. If I was a player, that's what I'd want. You can't point to our organization is dysfunctional or we're not set up to win here. Yeah. If I'm a player walking in the center's dressing room, I'm looking around saying, if this doesn't work, it's the guy in the mirror. And I always want that. I think great players want that. That leads into the question next, which is what is a realistic expectation for the Ottawa centers? We know they're going to be better. How much better will they be? Are they playoff better? Is that the expectation? I just think that you have to be playing a lot of meaningful games. Like right down to the end. Right down to the end. So it's not a, hey, listen, we've just spent a pile of dough. We've made some blockbuster deals. So it's playoff time. This is just, look, we need to take the next step. I I know. Listen, I listen. You you know, Jeff, if you're a player, you're saying we got to make the playoff. If you're a fan right now, you're, you're like, you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, like I got to start saving up money for playoff deposits. Like you want that, (laughs) right? Yep. But put it this way. Like, let's just say this team goes out and gets 90 something points and, and misses the playoffs on the last day of the season. I don't think that's a disaster. That's fine. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of uh, Ottawa loves it when they get compared to Toronto. So I'm going to do this. Remember <laughs> that first Toronto team that made the playoffs with Matthews? Uh, the one that lost to Washington? They lost to Washington. There were, what, five overtime games in that series. But then the last weekend of the season, they basically had to beat Pittsburgh. And Anderson got hurt. And McElhaney, Curtis McElhaney came on and won that game. And they got in the last night of the season, second last night of the season. If you're Ottawa and you're playing for the playoffs at the end of the season, by that time you're crushed. You feel like just like an idiot if you don't get in. But, you know, you're you're crushed if you don't make it at that point. But I think that's what you want. All those Sens fans that were just loving the way you were talking about their team, all that work you just did just completely became undone. Why? Because I said compared to the Toronto? It's compared to the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> so I, I referenced the two people that love the Stutzla deal. And the two people that love the Stutzla deal, one of them is obviously Tim Stutzla. Mm-hmm. The other person I'm going to get to, but the person who I'm sure is not a fan of the Tim Stutzla deal is Dallas Stars general manager, Jim Nill. The other person who loves the Stutzla deal is Jason Robertson. Yeah, you know. Now, we talked about this the other day, and here's the, here becomes the question, and you know that Robertson's camp saw the Stutzla deal and said, oh, yeah, we like that. If Stutzla is 835, what's Jason Robertson? I Sometimes I think these comparisons are low-hanging fruit, right? Still nutritious. We <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of your great lines. Low-hanging fruit is still nutritious. Whenever there's a deal, some people are going to hate it. Like like we talked about, there were some teams that really hated the Tage Thompson deal. Like they were really bothered by it. I look at it like you have to decide what's best for your organization. Of course, Dallas might look at that and say, uh, but the thing you have to remember here is each situation. If I'm Jason Robertson, I'm going for the highest contract that I possibly can. I got no problem with that. Ottawa can do that now because they don't have too many other deals where that limit them from doing it. Like if Jason Robertson, I just don't think barring a trade right now where they move someone out, I just don't think Dallas can do that deal. They can't. So until I'm proven wrong, this is three times seven ish. And if Robertson keeps scoring 40 goals a year, he's going to blow past Stutzla with every contract. There's, there's a debate. And I I understand there was a, I'm, I'm trying to, spend less time looking at Twitter debates. And I understand there was a big one on the Stutzla. My point, I said this to you many times is if you have a player you think is a cornerstone player, sign them as quickly as you can for as long as you can. If you're Ottawa and you look at Tim Stutzla and you think he could be a big time point production center for years, you do this gamble. Now, one thing I, I understand is I understand there's some teams that don't like these deals right away. They'd rather see bridges, not, but Eh, you know what? Like you do what you think is right for your organization. You make the best educated gamble for your organization. And the other thing people forget is this isn't in a vacuum. We spent the first 10 minutes talking about 
the Ottawa Senators and their fans have been pissed off for years and the organization hasn't looked as good as it should for years. Like this is a calculated strategy. And I think too often when we talk about contracts and things like that, we ignore things like market forces and the direction that you're told by your owner or something like that. Like you don't always have the choice of saying, I don't want to do this. Sometimes you're in a situation where the world dictates or your organization dictates you have to do something. It's very clear to me here. You really have to be obtuse not to understand what's going on and why they're doing it and why it makes sense. Everybody listening understands that right now. You know who will dismiss that? Uh, a killjoy? No, Jason Robertson's representation. Well, but the thing is, Jeff, like again- But that, that's the thing. Like you you, you know there is, that, uh, there is that effect. Like as soon as Tutsala signs, all of a sudden, you know, Pat Brisson will lick his chops saying, okay, this is great for us. Of course. Just like, we, like, like what we talked about with Tage Thompson. Like as an agent, you go to your players and say, look, if you have that type of season at the right time, you could get Tage Thompson's money. Yeah. That effect is real. I don't have a single problem with that. All I'm saying is I think that that at least if you're Jim Nell, you look at that and you go, "Ugh, great. And if you're Pat Brisson, you go, hey, great. Because all of a sudden there's a new number. There's a new number to play with out there. And it's not, you know, Stutzla, who in two years, it was 29 points in his first year, 58 in his second year, as opposed to Jason Robertson, who's 45 and 79 and throw a 41 goal season there. We're dealing with a cap, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can make $11 billion. <laughs> the players as a whole can only take 50% of it. So whatever you take goes away from someone else. Now, one of the things I'm curious about here, Jeff, is I've always wondered, you know, when is the generation going to come where they're going to say, well, I'm going to get paid what I deserve to get paid. I'm not worried about that. We've talked about McKinnon, right? Oh, yeah. Like there's a chance that McKinnon's going to be, it's possible. I don't, I'm not, it's not a guarantee, but there's a chance that McKinnon's next deal is going to make him the highest paid player in the league. Mm-hmm. These guys are competitive. They want to win. Mm-hmm. They want to score more than the next guy. And, and some players want to make more than everybody else. I've always wondered this next generation of NHL players, will they get to the point where they start to say, we want more of the pie? And so individually, mm. I mean, because you're, you're only going 50-50. I had someone talking to me the other day. They think one of the more fa- most fascinating ones is going to be dry sidle. Hmm. Why Dreisaitl? In some ways, he compared it to McKinnon. He said it's an incredible value contract. And actually, his point to me was he even thinks like McDavid is a value contract at 12 and a half. Like he is. He, sh- he should be making $11 billion a year, as I like I, to say. I tend to think everybody in the NHL is, is, is underpaid. but Yes. You know, I, I don't disagree with you a lot on that. Someone was listening to that podcast. A team official was listening to that podcast where we talked about McKinnon. And he said it's a conversation among teams that when the cap goes up in a couple years, if it takes a nice little bump, some of these star players, what are they going to say? Are they going to say, you know, it's time to take a little bit more of the pie? Or do they still say, you know what, shave a bit here and there? And I think people are really curious about this generation of players. And and like I said, someone said to me they're really going to be curious to see Dreisaitl because if McKinnon – was below value last time. That, that's the phrase I like rather than underpaid because it's it's a lot of money. But if McKinnon was below value and we get to a point where he says, no, 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 you know, I, I want to get more value. My own personal belief mm-hmm. is when the salary cap finally goes up, mm-hmm. those players that are due new contracts that have gone through the flat cap high escrow era are going to be gobbling up as much as they can because for the last few years, they feel as if their salaries have been artificially depressed. Although they haven't, we all know what the PA signed off on, but my own belief is they'll look back and say, I'm going to try to make my money back money that I should have been making the last four years. I need to make as much of that back as possible. I would tend to agree with you. And the reason I agree with you, Jeff is because during the pandemic, 
when play was shut down, there was that negotiation between the league and the players. And one of the things the league said is, if you want to do higher escrow for the next six years, you can pay what you owe us back faster. And the players said no. So that says to me, you're probably right. So when Ottawa does Stutzla eight times eight and change, I think that's looking at the landscape and saying, mm-hmm. we're locking him in now. And if I had the choice, that's what I would do too. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, before we wrap up this conversation, another player who I think is, and he's up for a new contract in a year, I think a lot of people are wondering about this, is somebody who said on their last deal, you know, why is everybody saying that I'm underpaid? I'm pretty happy with what I'm making. And that's David Posternock. Yep. It sounds like it was pretty quiet over the summer between him and the Bruins. And I assume that's going to pick up now. Uh, as soon as he comes back into uh, North America, I'm sure everybody's going to sit down there and kind of figure out where they are. But that's another one people are going to watch. This is a player who took a really good value deal. And the way he's played, you could make an argument, he's a $10 million player. And Charlie McAvoy just signed for 975. So I think there are people out there who are really curious. They're looking at these negotiations, McKinnon, mm-hmm. Posternak, McDavid when it comes up, Drysdale when it comes up, Matthews is eligible for an extension next summer. I think, you know, are we, are we going to look at a situation where the kind of salary structure of the NHL gets reshaped? Okay, so let me ask you about a couple of players specifically here before we get to the, uh, uh, the Cider and, and Verana interviews. Mackenzie Weger. Yeah. I really like Mackenzie Weger, and mm-hmm. I really like Mackenzie Weger on that Calgary back end. Uh, he's got one more year at 3.25, and then he is a UFA. Anything there? I think they're taking a run at it, the two sides. It's quiet right now, but I think they're taking a run at it. This was an interesting story to follow along on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Montreal and Caden Primo, netminder. Yeah. So signs a three-year deal, 890K is the AAV. And I think one of the questions that people have here is, what's the future for Jake Allen? We all know about Carey Price, but what's the future for Jake Allen in Montreal? Well, it was uh, Kevin Weeks who first reported that there's talks underway. As we do this on Thursday night, I don't get the sense it's close, but I think Kevin's right that they are talking. You know, there was a time earlier in the summer that there were teams asking Montreal about what are you going to do with Jake Allen? And the Canadians said no to any of it because they didn't know what Carey Price's future was and they wanted to make sure that they had Allen there to sort of hold down the fort. What my guess on this is, he's got a year left and then he's a UFA. I just think Montreal wants to have an idea sooner rather than later if they can sign him. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Okay, Friday afternoon insert for the 32 Thoughts podcast. Walking around my neighborhood, a couple of things have happened today, and we want to make the podcast as current as possible. First of all, there were some PTOs. Danny DeKaiser in Vancouver, Calvin DeHaan in Carolina, and Zach Aston Reese in Toronto. These are good quality players for PTOs. I was talking about this with someone around the league today, and you know, he was saying to me that usually, and it's true, PTOs are older guys who aren't guaranteed anything and are trying to squeeze out another year because who wouldn't want to play hockey for another year? Or players who are fringe players in the NHL who are you know battling to keep a roster spot. And some of these guys, you think, are more than that. Like, for example, at the beginning of the free agency, if you would have told me that Zach Aston Reese was signing a PTO, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have said, no, no, that guy's getting a one-way somewhere. But this is a summer where a lot of players got squeezed. The cap is still tight. And I'd heard he wanted to stay east. I know it was reported that Edmonton was one of the teams interested. And I believe that's true. But I think he wanted to stay East. I'm surprised to see him in particular on a PTO. I think one of the things that people ask is when someone signs a PTO somewhere, is it a guarantee that they're going to stay there? There have been some rare occasions where players have gone to one team on a PTO and signed somewhere else. I know that's happened before. 
But generally, if you're going on a PTO to an organization, you know what the number is going to be if it all works out. So one of the first things a friend of mine lives in Toronto asked me was, do Lisa Nash and Reese have a deal? The answer is no, but Aston Reese, he has a good idea what his number is going to be. If he signs in Toronto, I'm betting it's somewhere around eight, eight fifty, because Toronto really can't do any more than that. They're in a tight spot. The other question I got from Leaf fans today was, does this mean that Rasmus Sandin is going to be traded? Because they look at the salary cap situation, they say, how are you going to fit this all in? And I don't think that's what Toronto wants to do. I could always be proven wrong, but I do believe that Toronto's goal is to re-sign Sandin. It's a standoff right now, but I still think their goal is to re-sign him. If you look at their defense cap situation or contract situation, it's not too long until you look down and there's only one guy signed, and that's Morgan Riley. I think they want to. The other thing I wanted to touch on briefly was Joe Thornton. I was working on this yesterday. Corey Massasak of The Athletic, who covers the Sharks, actually got it out first. And Thornton's back in San Jose, and he's been skating with some of the players there. One of the things you're wondering is, A, he's going to play, and B, if he doesn't, is there a spot in the Sharks organization for him? Is he going to play? That's Thornton's decision if he wants to try and play this year. But the one thing I do think is if he decides not to play, I, I do think there's going to be a role for him in San Jose. What that is going to be, whether it's hockey ops or marketing or whatever it could be, I think that's a conversation that will happen. But uh, I can't see the Sharks having too much of a problem with having Joe Thornton in the organization if, if he's not playing this year. Couple more things. Uh, I want to ask you about John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. And maybe this, we should have seen this coming a mile away. Maybe this is one of the most obvious things when you look at John Tortorella's history and the recent history of the Philadelphia Flyers and what they need within this organization. But John Tortorella uh, on Sirius XM saying, As far as the room, I have major concerns about the room. As far as I've spent the the summer going back and forth. I live in New York. I've been going back and forth to Philly trying to relocate there, but spent some time in the office talking to players, talking to personnel, uh, talking to Chuck, all, all the front office. And I have major concerns about uh, what goes on in there. And before we even step on the ice, situations and standards and accountability in the room uh, is, is forefront. And uh, you can't get squat down on the ice until you get your room straightened out. And I think we have a little bit of work to do there. We all know the Philadelphia Flyers, Elliot, have talked about changing the culture within the room. Is this the opening salvo of the Flyers changing the culture in their room? The shot from Torts. I don't think this is the opening salvo. I think this is the latest salvo. <laughs> He's been doing this since he got there. And, uh, you know, we talked about on our podcast that they last one that they, they let the players know that this was going to be a brutal camp. Yeah. And apparently they sent an email to the players saying, basically, you better be back in town by early September and you better be ready. And that's what someone said to me. And, um, you know, like I, I was looking at the notes today in, in Philly and it sounds like there's a lot of guys there. So they're getting the message. Look, a, a poor start this year in Philadelphia is is not an option. There's a lot on the line. And look, I, I think this is Tortorella getting on them early. Every year there's one team that sort of wins the exhibition title. They go 5-0 and and they, they dress their best team. And <laughs> the, the other team is 26 yeah. junior players and they beat them 10 to nothing. I think Philadelphia could win the exhibition title this year. They're gonna be they're gonna be ready to go and a bad start this year is not an option. And and that's just what Tortorella's he's gonna be hammering them from the beginning. He knows why he was hired. Of course. This was not like this is not like, okay, we're taking our aircraft turn a carrier and we're turning it around really slowly. This is immediate action. This is the coach first, and that change has happened, and now it's about the players. Mm-hmm. Elliot, one other thing here, and you wrote about this at sportsnet.ca, and I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because we've always looked at Shane Doan and said, that's Mr. Coyote. Shane Doan and the Arizona Coyotes, uh, of course, most recently working as a chief hockey development officer 
uh, for the Coyotes taking a step back. What happened? So I, I kind of heard about this on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I, I had a couple people reach out. I was, or I was talking to a couple people. What's kind of going on out there? And and I had some people say it to me. And on this one, you know, because of who it is and the sensitive time for the Coyotes, you got to go right to the source. So I'm a really sensitive guy in my uh, old age. I don't send notes at at five in the morning Pacific time. You know, you you wait until mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later in the morning, and 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 Don reached out and and I told him what I was calling about, and you know, I I don't think you're ever surprised that this stuff gets out, but the one thing that became very clear to me very obviously is that you know Shane Doan, whether he's part of the Arizona Coyotes or isn't. There's nobody who cares more about the success of that franchise than he does. He's Mr. Coyote. He played, you know, he played 1,540 NHL games, but all but 74 of them were in Arizona. You know, he led the team in goals, assists, points, games played. He was the captain for the last 13 years. And all of that came across in those few seconds when he was collecting his thoughts and thinking about, you know, whether he was going to talk to me. And it was very obvious to me very quickly in the phone call that the most important thing for him was, I don't want this conversation to damage the Arizona Coyotes chance for a new arena. And whatever issue might or might not be there, he wasn't going to do anything that was going to pour gasoline on that fire. And that was the thing he said to me. And it, was, it was the first quote I wrote. Like, I do not want this to in any way hurt the Coyotes. If there's something bothering him or if there's something making him unhappy, he was not telling me about it. He was like, nope, hmm. this is not going to be negative. I'm not allowing it to be negative. And so he's... He's going to step back, as he said. He's not leaving the organization. As a matter of fact, it was interesting. After the story ran, I had somebody call me from down there and say, Doan was on the ice with some of the players today. And so, as he said to me, he's a big Tournier fan, Andre Tourney, mm-hmm. and if they need him, he'll work with them. But he was skating with some of the guys in Arizona today, you know, he has four kids. One of his daughters just moved back home. Another's in university. He's got a son who plays football. And his other son, obviously, Josh, was drafted by the Coyotes and plays at Arizona State. It's going to his sophomore year. But, you know, like I said, I think the thing that happened right here was the moment I got on the phone with him, the key thing he wanted to get out there was, I am not letting this story hurt the Coyotes. Because I said to him, like, it doesn't make sense to me that the Coyotes wouldn't want you to be part of this while they're trying to get the arena. Like, it's the biggest no-brainer. And he's like, he said, I'm just not, I'm not going there. So that's how the conversation went. That all sounds exactly like Shane Doan. (laughs) Like, that is a perfect Shane Doan reaction and assertion. Everybody else would have just buried the team, but you know he did. <laughs> okay, before we get to these uh, these interviews, uh, I would like to acknowledge Jack Jablonski. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Jablonski announcing that he's gay on his social media. I think we can all uh, appreciate the weight that's been on his shoulders for all these years. I always think about like what kind of sort of daily pain you know you must be in not being able to to live being who you really are. Uh, I'd encourage everybody to read Michael Russo's piece um, with Jack in The Athletic. And whether it's Luke Prokop or whether it's Bain Pettinger or now most recently, you know, Jack Jablonski, you know, let's let's all remember that we love and support with our actions, not just our words. We love and support with our actions, not just our words. Was great to see this news, Jack Jablonski. I root for a day, Jeff, where these stories... People look at them and just kind of go, hmm, because it's normal. Amen. Where people just look at it and say, who you love is your business. And as long as you're happy, great. I'm with you. Uh, stay tuned. Mo Sider, Jacob Varana, still to come. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Now, you're going to really appreciate, if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, the remainder of this podcast. But I would like to add, Elliot, I don't think you have to be a Red Wings fan to enjoy these interviews with Jacob Verana and Mo Sider. We're going to get to the defenseman here in a second, but um, whenever I think of Verana, I think of the 2014 draft. And that was in Philadelphia. And one of the big debates going into that first round is, you know, Verana versus Pasternak, who's the best Czech sniper and uh, all that that played itself out. And we all know about the the trade a couple of years ago for Anthony Mantha that shocked everyone at trade deadline. The shoulder injury, he comes back at the end of the season, you know, 26 games, 19 points. He's going to play this season with either Dylan Larkin or, or Andrew Kopp, poised to have a, a monster season. And I got to tell you, of all the interviews we did, and by the way, thanks to everyone who commented on the Pierre-Edouard Belmar interview. That was a lot of fun. We're really glad you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to Verana. What did you think? He's a pretty funny guy. He is. Yeah, he's pretty laid back and loose. The thing I like most about him is that nobody at Sportsnet looks more like an unmade bed than I do. Of all the guests, <laughs> Verana was the most unmade bed there. He looked like he came right from the club overnight. He looked great. Threw on a suit and just showed up. Now, I should say, Steve Eiserman, yeah. he assured us he did not do that because <laughs> we asked. See, he can pull that off. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in this world can't pull off that look, but Verana can. Yeah. You're going to hear from Jacob Verana here in a couple of moments. But first, Moritz Sider. And when I think of Cider, again, I go back to his draft. And I learned something when I was in Mannheim, talking to people from Adler Mannheim. And Cider goes sixth overall in the Vancouver draft 2019. Hughes, Kako, Doc, Byram, Turcott, then Cider. And you were there. You remember the gasps, right, in Vancouver yeah. when Eisman announced his name. Like, there weren't many that had him that high. Obviously, Detroit did. Um, North American Central Scouting had him that high as well. But by and large, no one thought this way he was going in, into the top 10. And when Al and I were in, in Mannheim, touring the rink that first day, the SAP, you know, I was asking about Cider and someone there told me, we thought that LA was going to take him because of the Anschutz Association, that, you know, they're big supporters of German hockey, with hockey teams, with hockey arenas, you know, uh, they fund a lot of uh, initiatives. They're there a lot. They would have seen Cider a ton. I think Iserman would have went to Germany to see Cider. I, I think it was three times, Elliot. But they thought for sure that he was going to go fifth overall to the Los Angeles Kings. They ended up taking Alex Turcott, and Cider went to the Detroit Red Wings. But he said everybody here was stunned because we thought that there wasn't a chance that the Kings were going to pass up taking Sider, considering how close they were to him pretty much all season long in uh, in his draft year. Your thoughts on Mo Sider before we hear the interview? I just remember interviewing Iserman after he made the pick, and I, I've told the story before. I was like, a bit of a surprise, and he's like, why? <laughs> he was right. I mean, the, the guy knows hockey. What are you going to do? He... He was right. Now, I, I have to say, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does in year two, not because he's not a great player, he is, but I always wonder about how the league adjusts to a great rookie. And some rookies, it doesn't matter. They're just that good. Yeah, I'm really curious to see, do teams adjust the way they play him? I don't think anybody is going to be looking down at the puck when he's no. on the ice. No. I think those days are, are are dwindling. But I listen, he's not shy, and he's not shy about stepping up on a player. I don't think that's going to change in his game at all. Anyway, uh, you'll hear from Jacob Veranda here in a couple of moments. But up first, enjoy Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We good? Three, two, one. Three, two, one. <laughs> three, two, one. Three, three, two, one. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. do this. Coming down in three, two, and
Uh, Mo, first of all, uh, congratulations on a wonderful first season uh, in the NHL with the Detroit Red Wings. Congratulations on winning the Calder as Rookie of the Year. And here's the hard-hitting question to kick off the interview. If you had a vote, who would you have voted for the Calder? Um, it's okay to say yourself, yeah, by the way. it's okay to say yourself. Who's going to say himself? I don't know. Uh, maybe you. I, I, gotta, I have to say to you, I, I did interview one player once. It was a baseball player. Yeah. And he said himself. Yes. Yeah. No, my vote would definitely go to Lucas. Just seeing, seeing him develop during the year was special to me. And just having someone on your team who's going through the same faces um, yeah. was really cool. You're obviously a defenseman, but um, when you watch Lucas, see him play, see him practice, like what, what do you think we need to know about Lucas Raymond? It's crazy to see he's even younger than, than me. I always usually, uh, I am the youngest uh, uh, on any team um, usually, but I mean, people are, are just coming in and they're yeah. younger. So um, uh, he's really mature for his age. So um, I think that's definitely something people should know about him. I still laugh about uh, your parents not going to the, the event and the way you talked about it at the, it when you won. Um, no, obviously a big shout out to everyone who's sitting here. Um, my parents couldn't make it. Just uh, They just got back from Croatia and they thought it was more important to go on vacation. <laughs> and, um, no, uh, big shout out to uh, my brother, uh, my girlfriend, um, Timo, who's... It was such a great story. Did they ever get anybody who said to them, how could you not have gone to see your son win the Calder Trophy? Yeah, yeah, they were definitely a little bit pissed. I, I threw him <laughs> under the bus. But uh, no, it worked out pretty well, I think. So they just, they got back a night before we left. Yeah. So um, they just didn't have any vacation days left. So uh Somebody has to has to earn money in the household. Yes, and uh, it's definitely not me during summer. <laughs> so um, yeah, it just didn't work out. But um, it was really cool to have my brother uh, with me. Um, yeah, so I was uh, nothing to complain about. You know, I gotta say that's the sign of a good family, though. That when like you can make a joke about that and they can laugh about getting thrown under the bus like yeah. that. Like that's the way I would want my yeah. family to handle something yeah. like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was definitely special in our family. I think we're always good for uh, uh, some good laughs and, and some good jokes. Definitely, yeah. All right, so the people listening to this don't really know this, yeah, but you guys spent, well, this is uh, Wednesday in Paris and yep. you guys spent Tuesday in Mannheim together. Correct. And, Honestly, more it's like when you were with Jeff in public, were you like trying to hide so that people couldn't see the two that you were with him? Um, I don't know. I we heard some comments where like, who's this good-looking guy next to the young guy? And um, hey, look yeah, this good-looking athlete and Mo Sider. Yeah, look at that. yeah, exactly. So that was my takeaway from that day. You know, one of the things that I didn't ask you about that I that I wanted to. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we have a chance here to, to, to catch up a day later. Uh, you were part of some crazy games this year. And one of them was a really high-profile game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, where it seemed like whoever touched the puck last was going to end up winning this thing. I mean, don't don't change the channel because this Red Wings-Leafs game is not going to come to a conclusion until the bitter end. What goes through your mind in a game like that and what's happening on the bench? I know both coaches are pulling their hair out. But like as a player in the NHL, like you're not used to games like that where you get into double digits no not at all but uh it was so much fun uh just coming back and getting the crowd back on your side uh, was electrifying for us yeah. uh, gave us a huge push and in my opinion we still had a chance to win that game and then just uh got scored on again and we came back and they scored and just went back and forth and uh I don't know if you ever see anything like this in the next couple of years. The thing is you had like big games against like the Panthers as well, like putting up big numbers yeah. against like some really big teams. Yeah, I, th I mean, we definitely have the right guys in the locker room. It's just uh, about the depth and, and, and our team. And we just couldn't do it for, for 82 games. I think that's what we struggled the most with. But other than that, I think mm -hmm. uh, it will be fun watching us this year. Well, and that's the one thing I wanted to ask you about is, and we were talking about it off, off camera, is that, you know, you live in the off season in Germany, so the clock's ahead. And so on, I guess on July 14th, you wake up in the morning and the Red Wings have a whole bunch of new players. Did you have any idea 
that was coming? Uh, no. So I, I texted Larks right away. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm so pumped too. And uh, <laughs> we, we just couldn't believe it. There will definitely be fun coming in the locker room uh, in two weeks in Detroit and see all the new faces. And um, hopefully we can create some chemistry right from the start. And then I think it will be a, a really fun year for us. So did you just wake up and you're, you had like 5,000 text messages or, you know, how did it, like, how did you see that this had happened? I mean, I just scroll, scrolled through uh, Instagram and saw all the new signings and new deal here, new deal there. And then some of my, my buddies texted me too. And they're like, man, your team is sick next year. And <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It's, it's going to be so much fun. So um, it was definitely a cool experience. Is there anybody in particular you looked at and said, I'm looking forward to playing with that particular player or anything? I mean, just seeing Ben Chirot in, in Montreal before and, and with the Panthers last year, I think great season he had. And um, I think we'll be fun playing with him and, and in the decor. Like, does Steve Eiserman ever tell you or any other player what he's thinking? <laughs> he's definitely not talking to me about <laughs> his business plans with, with the organization. But I think we, uh, yeah, we're all in this together yeah. and we're right where we want to be. For now, it's a perfect spot to be a Detroit Red Wing in the present and in the future. So, uh, I mean, I'm super pumped. He's a commanding presence. When he speaks, people listen. Was there anything that he said to you last year or you heard him say that he really stood out to you in particular, the way he approached anything? It was a time we had a big low and uh, he was coming in and was making it real clear that we uh, shouldn't take anything for granted. And um, that was eye-opening, and it kind of reminds you what you're looking for in in the daily work and, and what you're aiming for. So um, it was crucial that he did it, but then he just steps up and and, and does it. Yeah, he's uh, I would say he's definitely the right guy for for Detroit. For any rookie, um, veterans, ex-players can be really crucial in your development. I know that uh, you and Nicholas Cronwall have something a special bond and Dylan Larkin as well, whom you lived with when you, uh, when you first started with the Detroit Red Wings. Do you have a few words about both those gentlemen and what they've meant for your young hockey career in Detroit, both Dylan Larkin and Nicholas Cronwell? I mean, starting with Nicholas was, uh, was a big help just coming from, from Europe, first time in the U.S., living on your own and just try to figure out what you're doing in a different country and didn't know anything about the league, just it's going to be really hard some really big mean uh, mean guys in in the <laughs> AHL but yeah he he helped me a lot he we were sitting down and cutting video and um looking through through my games and and finding spots where I have to adjust something or something I did really good and that's what we're doing up to up to this date and uh, he visited me in 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 Sweden um 2 years ago so um yeah definitely a, a really cool cool side story and Dylan I mean he's a he's a captain leading by example he he goes out there on the ice and just sometimes does it by itself or by on his own tremendous player and just a, a really strong guy uh, off the ice too just uh, mm-hmm. just somebody you can lean on and just really fun to have someone like him in the locker room last one then who was the meanest guy in the AHL good question um, luckily I played with him um, I think Dylan McGrath. Oh boy! Um, yeah. yeah, so I was really happy I had him uh, on my squad, <laughs> and uh, wasn't facing him because he uh, absolutely killed some of the other guys. Yeah, he's a real big tough dude. Yeah, Dylan Dylan McElrath. Yeah. Um. Uh. A couple of things about your uh, about your Red Wings. You mentioned, you know, putting it together for a full 82 games uh, can be uh, a, a exhausting. Did you find that going through your rookie season in the NHL, there was one specific time where you hit a wall, whether it's, you know, January or maybe early February? Like, was there one particular time in the season when you're like, I don't know, like this doesn't feel right to me? Um, not really, but there was definitely a little low um, right before the uh, also break. But then it was perfect timing. Then you had a week to recharge the batteries, and mm. um, then you hit in the final stretch in the season, which was really cool. Yeah. Other than that, it was so many new input every day or every week because you travel around so much. You uh, 
get to know so many new guys and, and faces. So that kind of distracts you from uh, from the busy side. You know, one of the things, like, you're so wildly popular in Detroit. Like, they love you there, right? The team loves you. Fans adore you. And, you know, whenever I talk to any Red Wings fans, you know, they keep talking about, oh, it's so nice to have a crusher back there in in, in Mo Cider. Um, who taught, because hitting is so weird right now. Like, it's more about angling and stick, good stick, good stick. Very few players play like you do. Where did you learn to hit? Because hitting, be hitting in 2022, hitting in 2022 is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just comes natural. I don't think about anything in in, in a situation when I'm on the ice. It's just instincts. Yeah. And um, because things are happening so quickly, uh, sometimes it's the right moment to step up, but. As you said, sometimes it's just about riding a guy off and just mm-hmm. killing the play with, with your stick. And you know, it's, it's just about finding a good balance in between. Was there one game that you had this year where you said, yeah, that was my best game? <sighs> like there were moments. Like we talked the other day about yeah. you ragging the puck and you know playing keep away from the Philadelphia Flyers, which is a, one of the great highlights from last season. Yeah. But is there something else? Is there another, another game or maybe a sequence or something that comes to your mind where like, yeah. That was my best moment as a Red Wing. Yeah, maybe there was one game against the Islanders uh, um, with the uh, OT winner. Thought about shooting, spins it back to the line of Pew Suter. Suter flipped it deep. Sider, oh, Martin, what a shot! Oh my Red God. Wings win it for the Bray! He's done it again in overtime! Mo Sutter! Mm. Um, I felt really good in that game uh, at the legs at that time. And um, yeah, it was just a, a really cool day for me. Well, listen, this has been great um, catching up this week. Good luck. Uh, listen, your encore season is coming up now. You've got the Calder Trophy in the hip pocket um, and a whole bunch of new teammates and some new expectations for the Red Wings. Good luck next season. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks. Jacob Brandt of the Detroit Red Wings. First of all, thanks so much for stopping by. You are our last interview of the day, and rumor has it that you've been outstanding all day long, as our producer Amal Delich was saying, no pressure. <laughs> um, hey, listen, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, what an offseason. You know, they had to pull the checkbook out of Steve Eiserman's hands, make him put the put the phone down, get a whole bunch of new teammates. Yeah, I feel like it's a great addition to the team. Uh, all these guys been in the league. Uh, we have a we have a young group in Detroit, in great potential uh, within the team. And Mo Sider just won the Calder Trophy. Lucas Raymond had a hell of a season. Tyler Bertuzzi, thirty goals. I mean, Larks. So, I mean, we have a we have a potential in our team. Uh, we keep it constant, you know, with within uh, the season. And and now we have all these additions. So uh, I'm really excited to join uh, join the group at the training camp and start the chemistry a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and get things started. One of the fun things about you know being in Europe is sometimes on that day, depending on what you're doing, you might not realize everything that's happened until the next morning. So, oh, really? did, like, yeah. so when you, on July 13th, the free agency day, yeah. did you were you aware? Did you wake up the next day and realize I have a whole bunch of new teammates? Oh yeah, it literally just started to pop up on my phone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was uh, a quick change in one day, but I guess that's what all about it is. Uh, yeah. You know, I text uh, Kubalik right away, and and I just saw him in check. We had a little talk about you know the living in Detroit and stuff like that, where he should, you know, live and stuff. I told him to live with me in downtown, but everybody else lives in suburbs, so he doesn't want to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to do that. So you're the only guy in Detroit who lives downtown. Yeah, you're kidding. Yeah, I love it. You do, eh? Yeah, so close to the rink, man. I'm not a morning person. I'm there in four minutes. So it's perfect. You know, I can it's really, perfect. I can really identify with this. And Jacob. you know what? We have a training. We have a actually a practice rink and a game rink at the one spot. So it's awesome. I can identify with this because if I could fall out of bed and go right to work, yeah. I would do the exact same. You know thing. those winter times? Like you have to. I mean, I know it's not too bad. It's twenty minutes drive, but mm-hmm. twenty thirty minutes. But do it every day, you know. And then downtown is getting better as well.
What do the other players say about you living downtown? Everybody's so surprised and shocked. I don't know. I don't see reason why, though. I mean, there is. <laughs> I, I, I'm a nice and close to the rink downtown. I have restaurants down there, you know, like, I mean, obviously, I'm busy with the traveling and all that. So I'm not home much mm -hmm. either. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You, uh, you mentioned Mo Sider a couple of seconds ago, Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year, really impressive first campaign. Uh, what do you see in his game that's impressive? He, first of all, he didn't look like he played his first season in NHL. He was yeah. pretty solid, uh, shocked everyone, I think mostly with his toughness to, to, yeah. that he brings to NHL. And then, of course, offensively, he was great. You know, on both sides sides of the ice, uh, he did a really good job, and I think he de definitely deserved to win the color trophy. I don't think anybody's going to argue that with you. Yeah, uh, I think he was a, a a very very deserving winner, and Raymond definitely deserved to be top three in, in the conversation. 100%. No question about it. I mean, that division has been Tampa, Toronto, Boston, and Florida in the playoffs for a few years, basically now. And the job for Detroit and Ottawa and Buffalo is to break that stranglehold. How are you going to do it? I feel like you can see uh, the league is kind of like, you know, it doesn't matter who you play against. Anybody can surprise you. I feel like uh, if we stay consistent and keep things together, obviously it's a, it's a tough division we have. But we have our new players now coming in. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, it's a fresh start for everybody. Everybody start at the same starting line. And everybody's going to be prepared. And, and you know, we're going to just want it more than the others, you know. And a new head coach. Yes. And I Olaf. forgot about new head coach. I actually talked to him as well. Seems like a really nice guy. And yeah. uh, actually, I actually haven't got the chance to meet him uh, yet. But I talked to him on the phone and uh, he seems really nice. And I can't wait uh, to get uh, to start. How long did it take you to get to like sort of get past the trade? I bet you figured yeah, you were going to be a capital forever. I did. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, it's just a thought. But no, honestly, I think uh, it's, to be honest, like it's hard to go from day to day. You know, you wake up next day, you suddenly live somewhere else. You suddenly play somewhere else. And uh, yeah, it's not an easy process, but I feel like they give me a nice welcome in Detroit. So. Uh, I was really excited about the being a Red Wing after that. Still hard though, eh? Like I can I can see you. Like I yeah. Well, I had five years with the Caps, and and uh, you know I won the cup there. But you're gonna put things behind you. You know life goes on, and and I have a new motivation with Detroit Red Wings right now. You know one of the things like you know Jacob, we've all seen your talent. Like we yeah. know how good you are. It's just staying healthy. Is there anything you can do to sort of help that? You can't control that, though, you know? Yeah. It's something you can control, and I think all the players will agree with me. It's, it's you go through it. It's it's part of the game, part of NHL. It's part of any, any kind of sports injuries, but what you can control is how you deal with it while you're injured or while you're coming back or what you can do to get back. And uh, I think it's the best thing is just to put it behind you mm -hmm. while you're done with it. Focus on the future. Focus on what's in front of you. Uh, live in the present and... Uh, yeah, it's not easy. It's mentally really hard to watch hockey for five months, not being able to be out there. Uh, so just stick with the present, you know, focus on your next rehab and, and next practice you have and then go go out there and play, you know. Dylan Larkin. Yeah. Uh, I just said that name and you smiled. Um, yeah. I know players love playing with him. I know he probably doesn't get the headlines that he deserves. You know, he had a fantastic, certainly his first half of the season was outstanding. Uh, last season. Tell us your thoughts on Dylan Larkin. He's a great captain. He's really supportive. And the, the I think the best thing about him that, you know, whatever happens on the ice, it happens on the ice. He wants to take care of the, the guys, you know, out off the ice and on the ice. He wants everybody to be healthy and happy. And, you know, he knows what's the most important thing in a life. Mm -hmm. Keep the guys together. You know, we are almost like a family mm -hmm. and we want to take care of each other, you know. And if it's off and on the ice, doesn't matter. Uh, he's a leader, you know. He wants he wants us to to be where we should be because you know we have the potential, as we all know. So uh, yeah. So when you guys are on the road, you guys go out as a group and things like that. Are you a good group like that? Yeah. Well, the bands, what you want to eat, and you just find the guys and 
you can go. I mean, we have a bunch of Checos, so and then we have, <laughs> we have a bunch of Checos, and we have some guys. Uh, yeah, we. <laughs> Who's the pickiest eater? Oh, I would say Philip Ronick. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. He's never. He never looks happy when he's eating. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he never looks happy uh, even when he's not eating. So <laughs> nah, just <kidding. laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah. You know, Jacob, I, you've, you've obviously got a great sense of humor. You love to laugh and smile. Yeah. My, my favorite story about you, I always remember, is at Vegas Stanley Cup Final 2018. You were struggling to score. There were two days off. Every Capitals regular took the first day off except you. You were on the ice on that yeah. but practice. And I remember I walked by you and I said, you know, like, you're the only guy practicing. He goes, I got to score. I, I got to practice to score. And then you went out and you scored. Yeah. In game five. Like, yeah. Well, Ingles had three good chances in this game. Here's Verona moving up the wing. Verona's and he scores! You know, you like to smile, you like to laugh, but there's a really fierce competitor there. Yeah, 100%. But that was more because Batia said he took his first optional after 500 NHL games, so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to... I gotta go out there. <laughs> hey, uh, that's uh, Brooks Orpik, you know. Uh, he said to me, like, hey, uh, you know, we had an optional practice. He's like, hey, I took my first optional practice after 500 NHL games. I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, I gotta go out there. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I never yeah, knew that yeah. story. He was, no, he was a really, um, you know, old school guy. And awesome. yeah. and you're gonna get a certain amount of NHL games for sure to take the, your first optional. But you were the and only also, guy. And also, well, it is also the reason that, I mean, if something goes wrong on the ice and doesn't go right, that you think you can do better. I mean, where else you want to, you know, get better than on the practice rink, you know, mm-hmm. or practice ice or when you go to train. So, Anything you worked on specifically in the off season? Obviously gaining weight for sure, gaining yeah. muscles, but mostly just speed. I'm going on the ice. We we have a, like a nice little game Tuesday, Thursday. All the NHL guys get together. We have like a competition. It's a lot of skills, so it's nice to. Uh, so who's out there? Like, tell us what happens. Ah, uh, well, it's uh, like Pasta, Tomas Hertl, Martin Echas, Philip Hitiel, Michael Kempney. I mean, we all. Uh, who else was there? Andre Schuster. Players. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, no, there's guys from that play in the KHL and leaking check too and then we you know we bet something and you play against each other it's it's intense man you know so, so what like what's yeah. on the line here like is, ah it's nothing it's a couple of bucks okay no okay i don't know if a I couple was, of bucks but it, it it's it's a uh, listen it's it it's doesn't intense. matter if it's, it's two intense. bucks or two thousand no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i was wondering if maybe you're talking about like it's at the end of the game like the loser has to do sprints or something like that is that oh we do the... we go to train after two. Oh yeah oh yeah but we don't do it for like i don't want to see him I want I want something from him, you know. So you have a big decision to make as we as you prepare to head back to North America, and that is I've seen you. We've all seen you with the short hair, and now you've got the uh, now you've got the longer hair. What's it going to be? Keep it. I look. Keep it. I look like one of the Russian fives. (laughs) You know, my hair is down. I gotta I gotta get a haircut. For sure. It, yeah, you like it? Mm-hmm. Think it. Just think yeah. of what it's gonna look like under a bucket. That's all. Yeah, you're a hockey player. Like, what's my hair gonna look like? Yeah, I do wear a helmet most of the time. But <laughs> when you go for dinner, then or something, you know, taking care of that. <laughs> <laughs> or when you go for your interviews. <laughs> yeah, sounds we like, like this. Yeah. Sounds like his decision's already made. Yeah, keep it real. I think so too. I think so too. Uh, Maybe I keep it. You will see. I you hope know, so. Like I said. I had 40 good years of hair, and I would recommend everybody to keep as much hair as they possibly okay. can. Like I said, if it goes wrong, we can all fly to Turkey and buy it. <laughs> you know, they do it there. Can we awesome. get some? Jacob, thanks yeah. so much. No, no worries. And there you have it, Red Wings fans, and I suppose non-Red Wings fans alike. Uh, Wings fans, uh, you've been very loyal to this podcast, and we thank you. We hope this uh, as a symbolic gesture, an offering, a um, something to make you feel good heading into the season. Hope you enjoyed those interviews. Jacob Verana and Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Elia taken us out as a German artist who was inspired to make music from a very young age after being given a drum kit by his father. I love that. His love of music quickly evolved and Marvin Andrea, stage name Crystal Glass, began to create a dreamy indie sound that makes you dive deeper into his music. With no end tonight... 
Here's Crystal Glass on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. My dad never gave me a drum kit. <laughs>